This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. A wild, wild Tuesday night of sports. We got two big stories to kick it off right out of the gate. I'm going to save the baseball for the start of next hour. Maybe we'll get to it at the end of the first hour. But I feel like with these other two sports now, really starting to wind down, I want to give fair due. I want to give credit where credit is due. And that's why, for starters, we're kicking this show off with the New York Islanders, who in double overtime, stay alive. They live to die another day as they take down the Tampa Bay Lightning by the score of 2-1. to one. And I expected the Islanders to fight. Talked about this on Odds on Sports. We talked about this last night. If you knew anything about the makeup of this team, yes, it's a daunting challenge to try to overcome a 3-1 series deficit. Yes, it's going to require a whole lot. You're going to need some puck luck. You're going to need some breaks to go your way. You're going to need Shattenkirk to basically whiff and then end up getting an on-man rush or you get a two-on-one. And what a beautiful, beautiful setup that was from the captain, Anders Lee, right to Jordan Eberle, who has been struggling, who has been scuffling, for him to finish that there. That is big boy t- you know, type of stuff. That is the sort of stuff you will need a lot more of if you were going to go and do the unthinkable. The Islanders played with heart on Tuesday night. And that's the biggest compliment I could give them. They played with a whole lot of heart. When they had to kill a four-minute power play right at the end of the third period, going into the overtime session, did I think they were going to survive that? No, I did not. And as someone who may have been involved with the Islanders tonight, I was certainly sweating out seeing Tampa Bay go on a four-minute power play. But they find a way to kill it. And then that game just goes deeper and deeper into the night. And the guys on NBC were all over it. McHugh, and I think it was Keith Jones, and uh, who was it? I think it was Kevin Weeks. I want to say it was Kevin Weeks. Or maybe it was Anson Carr. I forget who it was. Um, but they were saying they basically expected to be there all night. That's the way I felt. I was like, at this rate, I might be getting on the air. I might be starting the show. And I may have the Islanders on. Because it just kind of gave off that impression that it might even be a more lengthy overtime than it was. Thankfully, Eberle and Lee had all the plans. And how about Varlamov? 
doing a fantastic job in net. And I loved Andrew Gross over at Newsday asking this question. You guys, I'm sure, saw Varlamov slide like he was Pete Rose. Head first, right in that celebration pile, going nuts. Beautiful sight to see if you're an Islander fan. Barry Trotz's boys, they don't quit. They may not be good enough to win this series. Talent-wise, I think it's been pretty obvious. Tampa is the more talented team. But what the Islanders are able to do here in Game 5 is that they shift more of the pressure back into the court of Tampa Bay. Look, Tampa Bay is not a team that has won it with this group. They've had some flameouts in the postseason. Make them think a little bit. Now they got to sit for another day. They got to collect their thoughts. They got to get back to work. They get beat up playing a double overtime game. And then you see them on Thursday night. And all the pressure is on Tampa. To me, there is absolutely no pressure on the New York Islanders the rest of the way. They are playing with house money. And I know the old adage in sports, you never know when you're going to get back. You never know how many of these chances you're going to get. That's all true. But guess what? You're two wins away from the Stanley Cup final. That's what you got to be thinking about. One at a time. So a job well done by the Islanders. All sorts of hard winning in double overtime. Two to one over the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Islanders have heart. I'm questioning the heart of a team that will go down as an all-time flameout in this year's NBA postseason. What a gutless, spineless, Sad and pathetic performance from the Los Angeles Clippers down in the Orlando bubble. My goodness. The Clippers, who were the title favorites along with the Lakers going into the year, had a 3-1 to series advantage over Denver. They had two massive leads in game five and then again in game six. They let both slip away. And you just knew, watching their game, the minute a 10-point Clipper lead in the second quarter turned into a two-point game, that the Nuggets were not going away, that the Nuggets were going to be there throughout. And what you witness, folks, and we've seen this before in sports, a team with a whole lot of pressure, with a whole lot of expectations, Simply put, fell flat on their face. The Clippers played scared. The Clippers played tight. That goes from their number one player, Kawhi Leonard, who, yes, has been somebody that I've been very fond of. I've talked about him quite a bit at a high level on this show. I have waxed poetic plenty when it comes to Kawhi Leonard. He's got nothing to prove. But he did not play well in this series. And he was terrible in game seven. I mean, he was basically shooting 30% from the field. You need a lot more out of a guy who is trying to make the claim that he's the best player in the league. You got to give me a heck of a lot more in a deciding game seven than go six of 22 from the field. And only give me 14 points. That's a miserable effort out of Kawhi. But to me, the Goat Horns fall far more at the footsteps 
of the other so-called superstar on that team. And I say so-called because there has been nothing in postseason play that would lead you to believe that Paul George is this sort of big-time player. Because you know what? He shies away from the moment, too. Four or 16 from the field. And how about the shot at the end of the game? Now, the guy that was called playoff P, what a joke that was. What an embarrassment that was. Playoff P. I wish there was other nicknames I could use to describe on the air, but no. We don't want to get ourselves in any bit of trouble. Paul George. How about that three off the corner of the backboard? I mean, does that not sum up playing scared? Does that not sum up not being ready for the moment? To me, it's the definition of it. The Clippers had this arrogance about them all year, all postseason. This idea that they could turn it on whenever the hell they want. This idea that the regular season and these games in the bubble did not matter too much to them because playoff time, they were going to be where they needed to be. I think you can take those theories now and throw them right in the trash bin. Because the lack of team chemistry from Los Angeles showed. Nobody wanted to make a big shot. Nobody wanted to take a big shot. Turnovers galore. And how about this? The Clippers in the third and the fourth quarter combined for 33 second half points. Let that sink in for a minute. The Los Angeles Clippers scored 33 second half points. That's going to send you home. And I don't get the sense that Doc Rivers is going to get fired because I think he's too well liked, I think he's too well respected. And maybe, you know, the first year of this group playing together gives him a pass. Maybe the fact that he has won an NBA title gives him a pass. Doc Rivers did a lousy job in this series because they had no answer for Jokic. They had no answer for Jamal Murray. And let's call it like it is. The star players of the Denver Nuggets were by far and away better than the star players of the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, facts are facts. Jokic basically had a triple-double, what, at the end of the first half, for goodness sakes. Filling up the stat sheet, giving you 16, 22, and 13. That is a money performance in a game seven. Murray gives you 40 points and has been electric throughout this postseason. They couldn't find an answer for those two guys. Clippers have too much talent to be getting bounced this early. And I don't think Doc Rivers falls on the sword here. I don't. But his coaching resume, aside from that 08 title with the Boston Celtics, it leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, how many big leads in series has Doc Rivers yucked up? The Clipper Rocket debacle from a couple of years ago, which was an all-time collapse in a game six. This series now being up 3-1 and yucking it up. That is a big-time collapse. He was up 3-2 on the Miami Heat. 
Now, granted, he had an older, aging Celtic team, but still, nonetheless, you're 3-2 up. You got a game six at home. You lose the next two games there. Doc Rivers is a solid NBA coach. He's had a very good career. The idea that Doc Rivers is Popovich, it's not the case. It's just not. Resume is not as good. I think the resume for Eric Spolstra might be better. And I like Doc personally. I really do. I've always advocated for him to coach the New York Knicks. I think he's a very likable guy. I think he's a very well-respected guy. But this idea that he is a great coach, he's not a great coach. He's a good coach. Because when you have these sort of things on your resume, when you've had some really talented teams, that's going to stick with you too. But I do want to make something perfectly clear in this NBA series. As much as I may get on the Los Angeles Clippers tonight and in the offseason and shame on them for their efforts in these last three games, the Denver Nuggets were able to accomplish something that has never been done in the history of the association. What's that? Denver is the first team in NBA history to overcome not one, but two, three games to one series deficits and live to tell about it. They deserve respect, praise, and applause. Nationwide, New York, from me, you name it. Because that's an impressive accomplishment. You're down 3 1 in a series twice. You're facing elimination over six games, and you win all six of those games. It's big boy stuff right there. Maybe the Islanders can take some inspiration from what they saw from the Denver Nuggets. That's what I'd be looking to do if I'm Barry Trotz. I'd be like, look, other sport just happened, fellas. Just happened twice. Let's go join the party. And you learn in sports. Who's going to squeeze under that pressure? Pat Riley has talked about it all the time. The Clippers folded, squeezed, you name it, in losing these three games. It's going to be a long, long summer and fall for Steve Ballmer. Buck's going to take a whole lot of heat. So too should the Los Angeles Clippers. They had absolutely no business losing this series. And blame who you want. From the coach to their best player, who I love, did not play well enough in this series, got outplayed. And then George, don't get me started with him. He's just not a big-time player. And if I'm Kawhi Leonard, thinking about championships, did I make a mistake? I think for Kawhi, listen, he wanted to go home. He got Southern California. He did not want to be under the umbrella of LeBron James, which I can understand. You're a big-time player like that. You want to carve your own niche. You want to carve your own legacy. You don't want to be joining forces with the king. I get it. I respected that decision a ton. And it was good for the league. Um, But that Toronto team has a whole lot of heart. And I think there are going to be a whole lot of people questioning the heart of the team that Kawhi Leonard's currently on. How could you not? 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did